What's up, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. Super stoked to have DistroKid supporting the podcast. They're the go-to for digital distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get music into Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts, they help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance. I really dig this company and I dig their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, artists, bands, DJs, performers, and any other creators that are recording music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. The best part about DistroKid supporting the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, which is absolutely huge, making their already affordable memberships even cheaper. So check out the link in the episode notes. I will put that there. Or you can also find it in my link tree in my Instagram bio. Click that link and it will give you 30% off that sign up. Can't thank DistroKid enough for sponsoring the podcast. Let's start the episode. What is good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so. And that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels, just helping strangers find the podcast. A great way to contribute to the sustainability of this thing. Appreciate the fuck out of all the people that have already taken the time to do that. And you can find the podcast on Spotify now. And I've also been putting up some monthly playlists every first of the month. I've been dropping a new playlist there on Spotify. So I'll put the links in the episode notes for that. So you can uh, you can follow those. Been trying to keep it pretty spread out genre-wise. Representing all the, the different things I'm listening to. And I will put the link for the Dan Cable Presents mugs. And five-year anniversary It's a Program t-shirts as well will all be in there and uh, I will also put in the episode notes all of the links for my guest this week on episode 249 Christopher Mansfield aka Fences join me for this episode of the podcast stoked to share the chat that we had really dove into the complete catalog of tunes that this dude has available he's been He's been doing it for a while now, and his releases go back to 2010, and we talked about him making that record with Sarah Quinn from Tegan and Sarah, as well as working with Chris Walla from 
Death Cab and uh, just kind of dove into the, the songwriting overall and, and the making of his most recent release, Failure Sculptures, and uh, talked a little bit about his new EP that comes out on the 30th of this month as well. So, uh, cool chat. Nice to, to get to know this, this dude a little bit outside of his tunes. I've been spending a lot of time listening to the music, kind of getting to know him that way. And, uh, yeah, we talked about being a perfectionist and the curses that that can have as well as, uh, you know, attending music school and how, how theory can get in your head a bit. And, uh, was definitely a little blown away that, that he didn't really start writing tunes of his own until he was 20, especially for what music seems to, to mean to him and, uh, how it's kind of his whole world or his way to, to process the world. So all that is coming at you in this conversation and, uh, can't thank you all enough for, for checking this thing out and hope everybody is, uh, doing well out there, hanging tough, finding ways to, to stay afloat during the, uh, the strange times. And like I said, all the links will be in the episode notes. Don't forget to check out those uh, volumes of I Dig Records coming at you every other week. Last one we did was Steely Dan's Asia. So that is up there for your availability and coming at you this coming week. We've got uh, the Third Eye Blind self-titled record, which was a really fun conversation that I had with my cousin who really wasn't familiar with that record at all outside of the the singles. And if you're a fan of that record, you know that uh, it goes much deeper than those singles. And uh, I think every track on that record is is pretty goddamn good. So uh, stoked to share that chat as well. Other than that, if you're a Portlander, there's some free music going on at Produce Row every Wednesday night and Sunday afternoon. So uh, keep up with them for who is playing. I got to see my first show, I feel like, since this this whole pandemic went down. Last night, I was at Produce Row and got to see one of my favorite singer-songwriters out of the city of Portland, Oregon, by the name of Isabeau Wayu Walker, who has been on the show multiple times. She's got an incredible EP out called Better Metric, and she was joined by another amazing musician, singer, songwriter, Hannah Glaver, who's just also incredible. And it was, it was amazing to get to see some, uh, some folks play some music outside on the patio. And, uh, they decided to kind of just stand up there with each other. And instead of playing sets, they, they alternated songs back and forth. And it was, uh, really beautiful night of music and and much needed to see some people doing the thing that they they love so much so stay up to date on uh on people playing music maybe in a a city near you or a a place near you as uh as more more places seem to to open up and uh we're gonna get in to episode 249 can't thank Christopher Mansfield enough for uh, doing the thing with me and opening up about his tunes. 
Fences on the podcast, and we're going to kick it off with a track off of uh, the EP that is due to drop on April 30th, which is called Wide-Eyed Elk Ensemble, and this is the first track and first single off that record. It's called Boot Height. Let's do the damn thing. And I was a laborer with pine trees bringing them down so they were boot high next to me and sometimes evil things define me and I stand shivering cause all trees lose their into it whenever you're ready cool whenever i'm good now whenever awesome dude um stoked to uh have the opportunity to to chat with you i uh i feel like i came to your music late but i'm i'm stoked that i i stumbled upon it and uh have uh been going real deep on the catalog all the way back to that that self-titled record that you put out in 2010 hmm Nice, man. I appreciate the uh, attention. I always feel guilty taking people's time up. 
because a song is, you know, three three minutes thirty seconds to get ten of those thirty minutes for records. You know, that's a that's a it adds up after a while. So I appreciate the time. Um, yeah, it's weird. I uh, it's weird to look back at that and be like, oh man, that was like t- over ten years ago. Kind of crazy, kind of. Um, but I guess in in a in a strange way, I've given I've given the most time. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, what do you what do you think? Looking back, you're you're ten plus years removed from, you know, putting out that debut. Like, how do you feel looking back on that collection of tunes at this point in your life? Are those songs? If you're playing a set, you're gonna you're gonna play a couple of those tunes still. Yeah, I'll play a couple of them. I mean, some of them I think are pretty cool. I'm just like. You know, I'm just cursed with being really picky and, and liking really good stuff. I mean, you know, I've, you know, reading like Leonard Cohen poetry books and listening to Jason Molina and just really just trying to immerse myself with like the absolute genius of, of, of man. Um, it's tough to look back at that and feel it, it. Some of it feels rather juvenile, but um, I commend myself for, for trying. I will say that. And I don't think that it's bad. Um, I'm just, uh, I really labor over it, over it now, like with my words and songs. And I'm like, I mean, I even listen to failure sculptures and I'm like, I gotta, I gotta get better, which is uh, kind of crazy. But I, I was actually talking about that today. I was listening to Jason Molina, um, like Songs Ohio. And uh, I was like, I need to bring in more poetry into the music. And then, my girlfriend was like, yeah, but you do. But I was like, yeah, but like more. But then I was like, I was like, but not too much because then that's like, you know, that then that becomes like insincere. So it's like, I'm always just like losing my mind over these things. So, um, uh, so yeah, of course, when I look back at something I did then, um, I think the only thing that I will love is the thing that I'm going to do in like five minutes from now, you know? Yeah. Uh, pretty clear to me i guess going through the the discography is that it seems Mm -hmm. like you haven't wanted to really stay in one area of things songwriting or um production wise even you know it seems like you've explored Mm -hmm. a lot of different dynamics throughout the records you know but i think yeah the other thing that's super clear to me is that you're really fucking good at writing some great hooks. Thanks. Is that something that comes naturally to you as far as that part of the song or is it, does it vary song to song? I mean, it's like, I mean, not to ruin the mystery of it, but it's just like a scale. Right. So I think of it in a scale and, you know, the most commonly used scale in classical music is the major scale and, you know, like, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you. That's like one of the most catchy songs of all time. It's just, you know, they're just major scales. So I definitely um, am kind of, when it, when it, not necessarily on, a, on, on failure sculptures, I kind of wasn't in that head space about really thinking about like music theory and stuff. But as far as like, right, like when I wrote like the hook for Arrows, it was like, 
I knew exactly what I was doing, you know, and, and girls with accents or something like the, da, 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 da. that's just like within the F, you know, that's just within the chord. It's like, if you think about like, um, you know, smells like teen spirit or something, it's like, you know, his solo, that's the vocal melody. It's all just in that F right there, you know? So it, it, it can be kind of diluted down to a simplistic, you know, model of like, it just is, you know, your modes like Ionian, Dorian, Phrygian, et cetera. Like it's, it can be kind of ruined spiritually when you think about it, uh, scalistically. Uh, so I am really aware of that kind of stuff. Um, and then sometimes I totally denounce it and just don't, don't try to do that at all. Um, and just, uh, kind of shoot from the hip, I guess, but I know how to do both. For sure. I mean, and I think even, you know, talking about maybe taking some of the mystery out of it or, you know, things like that. But I feel like you still, even if you understand the mechanics of how to write a good hook, you still have to find the vehicle to deliver it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because there's a lot of great hooks with, with a shitty, shitty vehicle. Yeah, that's true. That's true. true. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it. That's kind of. I mean, that's kind of the weird battle of being like. I mean, I I I come across that so much in in writing, um, like even just writing words or 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 poems or or whatever. It's like you're you're going and you're going and you say like, okay, there's like, you know, I know these like slick tricks where you say like, um, let me see, it's this thing I call the loop. I don't want to give it away, but I can't, whatever. This thing you call the loop where it's like, you say what, what Kerouac, he did, he said like, you know, and the children cry and God, the, the children cry in the land where God said the children can cry. So he says it, spins around and he says it again and it gives it like a, a big punch. So there's all these like little tricks that you can do. And then you compare, you know, things to animals and colors and and, and things of nature. It's like, you know, it's like she had legs like a pine tree and the pine tree was coyote brown. You know, it's like there's these tricks you can do. And once you become aware of all these things, there's this like annoying balance of like sort of, I guess, getting too good. And then you think, shit, I want to like become like Buddha and just wipe it all away and just be stream of consciousness. But then in order to do that, I would have to go back in time when I knew nothing and then I would still be seeking this point of knowledge of how to construct it all so it's just this like kind of psychic juggle and um I'm sure I don't know if most people think that way I probably just sound like you know a crazy person but that is a uh that's kind of a struggle is like to keep it uh honest but also you have to be mechanically like correct yeah do you think that's uh can be like one of the curses of maybe uh going through music school and just like really understanding music theory and stuff like that as far as getting out of your own way in that sense or finding the balance in the songwriting and not relying always on mm -hmm. what's supposed to work yeah yeah i mean that's certainly one of them but i would say um what has affected me uh and again, there's a polarity there. It's because it's affected me, you know, for better and for worse is just being an avid listener, listening to everything and listening and, 
reading everything um, because that's where you really learn. It's like, I mean, what is there like, you know, the modes and then melodic and harmonics, three sets of seven, that's 21, you know, and there's only so many words in the alphabet, only so many words in, or, uh, you know, letters in the musical alphabet. And there's, you know, E to F is a half step, B to C is a half step. Once you see it all, it's just like this weird big grid. And you see that it's just, it's strange, but it's, it's like, that's the language we all operate on. Like we're all operating in this language. And, and once you see how to like kind of manipulate it and, it and it'll trip you out when you start to think like, like, so we have this conversation right now, we're talking in these words, but if you were to stop it, rewind, and then is there a way that we could order it in a perfect way? And that would be like the best poem of all time. It's all just words. So it's like, that'll sort of freak you out. It's like, yeah, learning this stuff in music school is fine. But what really makes me not get my own way, but makes me just hyper aware is being aware of that fact that um, I, I see lyrics in every conversation. I hear music in every noise. Um, and just knowing that it is always here all the time. Um, and it's hard to um, compete with perfection. And I think that perfection is just like that existing on, on its own in, in its in its own right it's like someone trying to draw a picture of god like what would you draw i mean they drew some but it looked like fucking axel rose so it's like <laughs> absolutely <laughs> you know what i'm saying no, yeah, crazy. That, that makes total sense because obviously you are you're the only one that can kind of like measure that perfection for yourself too and you're kind of as you're creating your catalog of tunes, you're kind of constantly raising your own bar for, mm -hmm. for your, for your songs. Like you can't yeah. go backwards to, you know, maybe yeah. like what you're talking about, feeling like some of the stuff is maybe juvenile on the self-titled record. So it can't feel that way now when you're five, six yeah. records deep. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's a trip, man, but it's like, um, but it's it's uh I really care about it a lot, so I just keep I just keep going. I mean I'm I'm I don't know I will I'll, I'll never stop. You know I mean I definitely have my reservations with like you know how culture moves and stuff, and maybe it doesn't move with me, or sometimes it feels like it moves against me, or sometimes with me for a brief moment. But then that even feels like it could be destructive. You know like too much ego. Um, so it's just a very weird dance. But all I do know is that I do love music and I'm obsessed with words. So I just am going to do it forever. Yeah. Talk to me about where that love of music came from, from you and, and like how early of an age did you pick up an instrument and start writing tunes? Yeah. Um, I think the love of music, I think, I mean, my mother, I, I was born in 83. I had a really young mom and she was playing like, you know, Peter Gabriel and um, like Prince and Madonna and George Michael and sort of all those and Sinead O'Connor and all that stuff was pretty, it was kind of sad music, you know, even though it was like pop music, it was like a lot of the songs are like, they're kind of tear jerkers. I mean, they certainly, they totally are. Um, I remember being a kid and just riding around with her in the car and like feeling like, whoa, like, 
kind of like a really big emotion to it. And kind of knowing that my peers, just meaning people that were around my age, didn't, they couldn't care less about that. Um, so I was like, okay, well, something's, you know, you know, I thought maybe something was wrong with me almost. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just, I, I loved it right away. And um, I don't know, I, I, I don't want to paint some picture. Like I wasn't like a normal child. It's like, you know, I still had that like crossfire game. Yeah. You know, and, I, you I know, feel you. Yeah. I like, still ate pop tarts and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was also cruising around in, I was born in 85 and cruising around with my parents and like, I was also heavily into some of that music. Like Phil Collins is my guy all time. And he's like huge, yeah. huge in that, like that eighties pop, but also delivering like some really heavy content most of the time within these yeah. big pop songs. And I think there was from an early age just resonated with some of the, the wallowing going on or some of the, the, the sorrow being spoken about, but yeah, I was also still fucking around playing street hockey yeah. and like eating pop tarts, like you're talking about. You know, I wasn't yeah, exactly. Some no, super yeah, bummer kid. Funny? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Yeah, you do that. You, you pop tart, like you know, make the goal, and you go and you cry to Phil, Phil Collins. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I was kind of the same, dude. I was totally the same. I remember like that, and then like hearing like you know Tracy Chapman like Fast Car, and I was like crying, and I was like, I'm not supposed to cry. I was like. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, my friends are, like, you know, collecting baseball cards. Like, why am I crying to Tracy Chapman right now? But I just was just an emotional kid. Um, and then, and then yeah, I got a guitar. My mom's friend um, gave her a guitar to give to me. I think because he could tell I was crazy or something. <laughs> you know? I mean, you got you to gotta give it up for those, like, those sort of, like, you know, secondary father figures, like the... The, the senseis or gurus where they're like, they, they just like see like a young human and they're like, like he needs this, you know, that's sort of, <laughs> sort of what it was. And then <clears throat> I just, I'm sure a lot of guitar players will say this. They don't remember. I just don't remember being like terrible at it is the thing. I sort of remember picking it up and the hands like spreading appropriately. And I just felt like I understood it pretty quickly. And, um, it just made sense. I mean, the thing that really um, took me a long time to get comfortable with was singing. Um, and I haven't felt comfortable singing until, geez, like maybe like four years ago. <laughs> it's very scary to do that, but but yeah. And, and, and luckily too, coming out of the, I think we came out of basically the same generation and then I was living in Seattle. Um, so then as soon as I, was out of that and then I had a guitar and then it was like it was like wow like Pearl Jam 10 came out and Alice in Chains Dirt so all the grunge stuff and that's also terribly sad and dramatic stuff so then I had that um so I really stood no chance to be honest <laughs> uh, like when you when you picked up the guitar though were you pretty drawn early on to writing your own tunes rather than just playing covers mm. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, it wasn't really that. I wasn't like, okay, I'm going to start writing songs because I didn't even really know what that meant. It's like, I didn't like, it wasn't like I was like, I thought that these songs just, you know, were like Einstein's theory of the universe existing forever. It was more like, 
I just couldn't wrap my mind around the fact that like, like, Oh, I could write something like this. I sort of just wanted to get my, I just would like sort of play it nervously, um, you know, almost like a, like a, one of those things that were popular a few years ago, the fidget spinner thing. It was like a, it was like, just like, I'll just kind of sit with it, you know, and just like hold it. And like, I don't know. I loved it. Like I just really loved it right away. And it felt good to like look down and like, how do you move a pick? And then just kind of, it just felt really relaxing to me to play it. And then, um, and then, yeah, starting to learn songs and then having that like weird, like moment of like, Whoa, like I can make this exact sound as this. And it was just this huge moment. And then I'm like, well, what if I, you know, move the chord? What if I, you know, if there's like, if there's, you know, four chords, if I start on the third one and then the fourth one, then the second one, the first one, I'm like, well, then that's my song, you know? And it was sort of like this weird, it is a very like crazy kind of thing. I, I wish, I almost wish I could sort of remember it more or go back to it, but it feels to me like it was like almost torturous, a bit like puberty or something. It's like, you don't want to relive it. It was just like, it almost, it was like this absolute impossibility, yet you blink and then it's over and then you're singing on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, dude. Um, Were you writing any sort of like, poetry pretty early on or just writing stream of consciousness kind of stuff down or like when do you start kind of putting things together where you are singing along and and playing the guitar is that not till like high school no i mean i I probably started doing that when i was like maybe like 20 started pretty late yeah i because when i was when i was young i did all that stuff but then i got into like jazz and like jazz fusion and stuff. And then like, I went to like music college and everything. So I was just like a dork, like a music dork. Um, But I was also a very insecure and shy kid. It's like, there's no way I would have ever written anything down in a million years. Like, even if I wasn't showing anyone, I would have been ashamed just of myself. You know, it was hard enough to talk just to say what I wanted, you know, for dinner, let alone sing. So, um, and that's something that I swear it's funny at my age. I still, I feel like that came pretty late. Like I haven't had like a strength in the work until fairly recently. Like when I like really write like a poem and I, and then I go, okay, like just like objectively, I look at this against like Pablo Neruda and like, you know, Jack Kerouac or something. And I go like, I'm like, this is fucking good, you know? And it takes me a while. And I'm like, listen to a song and go, okay, like this is actually good but it takes quite a bit of time to get to that place because um, I've, I've just never had like an ego and it may seem like that, but I just needed to wait until a point to where I intellectually knew and objectively knew that this was on the level of my heroes. Um, Because before then, no, I mean, everything I did felt like an apology Um, just wanting so bad to be, you know, not even a part of a club or something, but just trying so hard, but it, it took a long time. I mean, even, even after a few of those records, I was still like, I was like, man, when are they going to find out that I'm not good? Like, why are they letting me do this? (laughs) It's kind of fun. So did you have like a, a pretty big 
sense of relief when you did start? I mean, you're talking about having trouble just voicing your feelings in general. Was there a lot of relief for you when you did find songwriting in that way and started dumping your your feelings into the tunes because it's always i don't know throughout the collection of tunes it seems like you've always been super fucking vulnerable with what you've done yeah totally um as soon as i did that it was kind of like oh okay this is like like the meaning of life or something it was yeah it's everything it's all i know forever it's uh yeah, it was it was it was huge. If I didn't do that, I don't even, I, I should just like, you know, evaporate or something. <laughs> and like, what was that, that trigger that kind of like gave you the confidence to finally like slip into that? Or was it just a friend that encouraged you like, Hey man, I think you, you might be able to write some tunes and maybe have a voice on you. Yeah. Um, I heard, I heard Elliot Smith. He was still alive. It was a long time ago. Yeah, it, honestly, it was him. Honestly, if I'm being honest, I heard him and I was just like, I was like, this guy sounds more shy than I do. You see what I mean? It yeah. really put it into perspective. And I was like, he's singing about wandering down the street with a, you know, some beer and he's sad about a girl and he sounds really shy. He sounds like he doesn't even want to be heard. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, and I, that that was it. I heard that and I was like, OK, that was seriously it was like someone just showed me like a magic trick that you know what i mean they're like well here because my whole life i'm like what the fuck and then they're like wait well all you do is like flip the card like that and it's under here and i was just like oh damn um so yeah it was it was hearing him that was really what, what it was because i just thought um you know and and i when i say that stuff i always feel a bit awkward because i'm not saying like I sound like him or I'm as good as him or anything like that, but he was the person to uh, make me feel safe to do it. Yeah. I think those people are usually important in whatever path you go down. Yeah. It always seems like maybe there's, there's someone that you see doing something that makes you kind of feel like, Oh, maybe I could do that. Yeah. I mean, that's why, that's why I'm doing this podcast. I saw, like, I listened to some people doing it and I was like, wow, that's like a different way to, you know, deliver a conversation. Like, seems like some people are like having some real conversations on, on these uh, recorded devices and whatnot. Yeah. You kind of just need that. Yeah. You kind of need someone to show you. You really do. And that's, uh, and that's fine. And then, and then it's beautiful because, you know, maybe someone will see you do a podcast and then they'll do one, and, you know, you know, someone will hear my music and then they'll make a band. And right. After Elliot saw somebody and it goes all the way back to the, to Adam and Eve and the apple, you know what I mean? It's like, it just goes back and back. I mean, we're all just, we're all kind of each other's teachers really. I think. Absolutely. I, yeah, definitely agree with that. So how did you end up? I know you worked with, Sarah Quinn from Tegan and Sarah on that that self-titled record how how did that come about and were you already a fan of Tegan and Sarah at that point or, or have much reference for what they were doing yeah definitely um I really liked um that song so jealous the womp womp I don't want to be part of the problem I it was weird I was listening to that song like like a month before that message from them, like obsessively. 
Um, so when I got that like MySpace message, I was pretty, pretty floored. I sort of like I, I thought it was like a fan account or I don't know what I thought, but I was like, what I you know, I didn't know. I didn't think like a you know I hate the word, but like a famous band was going to contact me at all. So it was pretty jarring. But it was very, a very vibrant time, and then it uh, changed my life. Honestly, that moment. So that was cool. So she actually reached out to you. Yeah. How rad. <laughs> yeah, it was so random, dude. I was a, I was a dishwasher. I was a fucking dishwasher, like a place like kind of right across the street from my apartment. I just had a few songs I put on my MySpace, and she sent me a message saying that. It's like her favorite music right now and that she's like come to canada i want to make you a record and then i remember reading it and being like what the fuck like it's the weirdest thing and then i did and then um and then i started right after that did, did a bunch of tours and making more records and she's sort of the you know the she she did it it's her fault <laughs> <laughs> i mean that that had to have been just like hugely validating for you too at that point of being an early songwriter that you know this person that's already created such a great career for herself and her band is now you know trying to propel you to the next level or like just even wanting to give you the time to make a record with you and let your voice be heard by more people yeah it was it was just incredibly surreal I was, uh, it was weird because when I was there even to make the record, I, I was like afraid of her the whole time. You know what I mean? It was like, because we'd wake up and we'd walk to get coffee and she's like, what do you want? And I'm like, well, you're Sarah. <laughs> like, it, you know what I mean? It took me a long time to like, but it was like, I think pretty much the whole, I mean, it, we did it in like, I think 10 days, but I think every day I still was like, like, I don't know, starstruck the whole time. Because I was like, why the hell am I here? Like, what the fuck is going on? It was very hard to kind of, you know, sink my feet down into the gravel and find the reality of it. Um, I mean, of course, now I'm, I'm in a much different mindset. But I was just, I was so new. I didn't know anything. And um, you have some, like, beautiful, famous woman who's just, you know, like, demanded you go up and record this record. And you're like, you're like I don't know, like are my songs good and it was just like it was odd it was very uh, an intense time for me in my life um but uh they were very sweet everyone who worked on the record they made it as easy as possible and um yeah it was cool it was a very cool time yeah i'm a huge fan of them so it was cool kind of diving into you know your catalog and kind of finding out some of the the behind the scenes on some of the the records and producers and whatnot. And when I saw that and just kind of realized that that was her singing alongside you at certain times on the record and whatnot. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And yeah, man, I, I listened to that record for the first time today and I think a lot of those songs are super fucking great and hold up really well. The, that same tattoos song and just tons of yeah, tons of good, tunes yeah. from that, that record, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I really like um, My Girl the Horse a lot with Sarah. That one's cool. Neither one of us will make it down this hill alive. Neither one of us will make it down this hill alive. 
something you were you were raised with heavily mm. christian imagery just like just like saying the word god yeah or kind of. like just religious imagery around the like the cross sometimes and and yeah. talking about god and the devil and and hell and and things of that nature yeah saying lord and stuff yeah, yeah. um no that's funny that's a good question i actually was telling someone that yes like not yesterday a couple days ago i was like I was like, man, I like, because I have to go through and learn some of these songs to play some shows and stuff. And I was like, it's like, I fucking, I say like Lord and God, like on almost every song. I'm like, but I'm not really um, religious yet. I'm super religious, like, but not in the sense of like, I follow any doctrine or any, any particular like, you know, textbook or whatever. But um, I, you know, I'm really into like, Alan Watts and like those kind of like those psychedelic guys, like we're all God and every, you know, and I, and I really believe that my words and my music and stuff, um, I feel like they come from someplace else. And, um, it's interesting. So I do, I, I think, um, it would be odd for me to make artwork and not involve that because I think that, um, I'm pretty sure that like the first forms of art were probably done within worship. And to me, um, if I were to quote like David Foster Wallace, he said like, we all worship. And if I'm not going to worship like the grand beauty and, and connectivity of all things, albeit even atoms, um, then what I'm, I'm going to worship what Instagram, which I mean, if, if you're not going to believe in like God, then you're going to believe you're going to just fucking worship something else. And it's probably not going to be something good. It's going to be like blow or heroin or fucking, you know, Spotify. Yeah. And that seems way more demonic, man. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I dig Alan Watts quite a bit and like Eckhart Tolle and whatnot. I yeah. That, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I totally understand though you know, maybe just kind of framing things in that way and not having some attachment to Christianity or like a particular organized religion. And yeah. That's, that's, that's not even real stuff at all. And as far as like the art going back early, like all the art from that time is based around religion as far as the visual art. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I think um I was only flipping the uh you know the the crucifix just to be antagonistic. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> I don't have any, I don't have any issue with it whatsoever. Um I think it was just funny to me. I th- I I think it was just like, well I'm making this pretty music and I was like you know um I t- it was just like I think I was like listening to like black metal at the time or something, you know? So it was just, it was just purely out of antagonism. And even like, you know, on lesser oceans, like my mountain is cold. Um, I think that might be a Ulver song or a mayhem song. It's like a black metal song. They're like, like my mountain is cold. Like it's, it's just like quoting black metal and like all these pretty songs and no one even knows, but it's like, it's hilarious. Cold night, watching mountains burn. In the cold light, you know that I'll just love you worse. Is it any wonder we ran? Ran like wild horses. Smoke spilling out of our mouths. Pouring down the nostrils. I held you as we lost control. Drove off the mountainside. Glad that we finally saw That was one of my favorite tunes off that record. Huh. Thank you. Yeah, that was very, that was a, uh, well, the, the, the funny thing about that, people were like, what's that song inspired by? I'm like, oh, black metal. But, but if you think about it, if you were to take, but here's what's funny about like contextualizing things is that if you were to take those lyrics, they could be a black metal song. You wouldn't be able to hear the lyrics, but they're very like Norwegian black metal. Um, so that was kind of my goal on that one. Yeah, and I just uh I really dig your vocal complemented with a a female vocal as well, and that's another one of those tunes that you've got the female vocal mm-hmm. going. Yeah, it it's <clears throat> it, it it's I mean that's just uh I, I appreciate that and I think that it's I have a pretty low voice kind of you know what i'm saying like if they don't really they seem to not get in the way of each other they're just kind of right there but um i think for the most part it's it's low and um the 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 women that i tend to work with on records they have like a like a high sort of soft voice and uh it seems to work we did that on the ep too the to the tall trembling trees i had lauren on there um it just sounds nice. It it's like I think the first time I heard that that I really lo- loved it was um I think it was the postal service like like Ben and Jen they had that stuff when they would like kind of trade things trade vocals and stuff. Um I've always been into that and like obviously like Johnny Cash and June Carter. I think it's like a very cool thing to do. It's because it's like we we create these sort of tonalities. It's like we have bass and guitar, right? It's like we need this like duality to create dynamics. And then, you know, there's there's two people in the room. It's like, it's like I can be right here and I can be right here. And is everyone just being normal? And it's like, why would you not utilize that? And it also gives more um sort of personality and romance to the song. Not that every song needs to be that way, but um I think it's it always ends up sounding more dramatic and more pretty, you know. Yeah, and I think 
you know, it's not something that seems to be overused on the records. You know, it's just here and there throughout most yeah. of them. There's, you know, there's a track or two, which I think is, is really nice just to, to shift the dynamic within a record here and there. And exactly. Yeah. I also felt like lesser oceans, you leaned into, you know, writing some of those anthemic choruses thinking about like dogs at the table and just mm-hmm. kind of showing off that dynamic a bit. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That song was cool. Yeah. That record was fun to make. Cause I was, I was just trying to make courses. Like I remember when I was writing them, um, I was saying to my guitar player, I was like, I was like, every course I write on this record, I'm, I want to picture like, like, you know, 20,000 people like yelling it, like to me, that was like the headspace I was in. So I was like, you know, cause failure sculptures, you couldn't really picture that. I didn't want that. Um, but for that, that was kind of the goal was I just wanted them to feel big and shouty. I, I just was, I was more of a rambunctious man back then. And um, not to say I won't be rambunctious again, but that was just the mindset for sure. So it was intentional for sure. You know they cry for you And in the that there was like a cool shift even driving things more into a indie rock uh direction with the tall trembling ep like you mentioned uh postal service a minute ago and i feel like pale paper kind of has that death cab postal service vibe to it in the hook yeah yeah, but no more talking. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. I love, I love that song, man, because the bass, the bass line I wrote is like so awesome. Um, yeah, I like that one. It's that's a fucking yeah, that song rips, but it's like weird because like I don't know some of this. So it's weird. It's like I'm a very honest man, but some of the music is like just me having fun, like just like because like is that do I feel like that song? Like absolutely not. But it's just like. I knew I could do it and I, and it sounded cool to me. So it was like, it was fun. It's like, you know, if there's a gymnast, you know, and he's at a funeral, it's like, he can do a backflip, you know, cause he can do it, but it's like, he's still at the funeral. So it's just kind of like, just sort of, I wouldn't say showing off or anything, but it felt like, just felt kind of cool to be like, man, let's like make a song that sounds like that. wasn't like we didn't labor over it or anything and 
yeah, just having fun. But the the hardest part is making something that you really, 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 really believe in. But then you got to be careful because that can get pretty heavy because you, you're not hiding behind anything. Right. I also just like really appreciated the the opening of that record of just that that vocal narration that you you enter the record with and yeah man just uh you talk about not knowing where you're gonna go but just finding somewhere safe and i feel like that that, that's got to be like something that still like remains true you know in some way of just always always just uh you know not knowing where you're going but looking for somewhere as a stable like stable ground some way totally yeah, I appreciate that. That's probably the one that that still holds true is is that narrative on there. I mean, yeah, hunting season, Cedar Wesley. Um, yeah, I, I mean that's my favorite. That's probably my favorite record I've done besides the new EP that comes out in April. I think April thirtieth, maybe. Um, that's probably my favorite one. I like like all those songs. I really like a lot. When I was really young. I lived in this tiny town called Wilkeson in Washington State. It was at the base of a giant snowy mountain that you could see from the windows of the school bus and your classroom and even your bedroom window. And people would always say it was going to erupt any day. So once a month, we'd have to get under our desks in preparation. And the school bus used to drive by this old metal boat that was sort of abandoned in a cow pasture. I always used to daydream that when the mountain exploded that I would get in the boat and I'd be safe from the lava and I could go to my mother's work and pick her up and we would ride somewhere. I was never sure where we would go, but anywhere that was safe. Like a pine, the doe no longer wide-eyed and a love not mine. We both have made mistakes in this war that's our life. The doe no longer wide-eyed, my dear, my wife. And Failure Sculptures was the record I was introduced to you with. Oh, nice. And I was... I was in right away, man. I just felt like there was, uh, I don't know, just uh, a level of honesty again and and vulnerable, like vulnerability and just kind of this authenticity and just felt like what you were doing was, was kind of on that undeniable level. Like you weren't faking it in any way and like you you wrote one of the most like brutal divorce breakup records that like I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. I was gonna say I wish I was faking it. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I, I um what a nightmare to do something like that and then have people think that you were lying. That would be the worst. But um yeah, it was tough it was a tough it was tough that record that was tough for sure but i like it 
do you feel like that was a huge part of uh just you needing to do that during that process too as far as expressing what you were going through yeah i kind of just didn't know what else to do because it was like one of those things where you know i hate to like be like that you know some sort of cliche like oh i'm sad so i'm gonna write a song or something but it was more so i was just so like so fucked up in that era that like i just did the only thing that i knew how to do for years and years so they ended up turning into songs not really on purpose but that's just what i would do not not because i'm like oh i'm so hurt i'm gonna do this but i just do it all the time so it just sort of seeped into it i I think um but yeah it's uh it's a funny thing i mean the, the one thing that that record did for me is it it sort of cracked open something for me artistically to where i learned um that I just need to be like that all the time, like honest all the time, like not, um, you know, cause lesser oceans and even to the tall trembling trees. I mean, there's some, it's not like those things are like, you know, lies, but, um, feel your sculptures is just completely just, I'm, I'm just completely open, wide open. Um, like, you know what I mean? There's nothing there, like almost like my ribs are gone and every, you know, and, um, and that's how I try to do my work now, like moving forward. Um, not to mean that it all will be sonically depressing because, you know, if I'm really happy, that would be honest too. But that just, I, I learned an important lesson on that record because I was almost embarrassed to put it out because I was like, it's like, am I allowed to like put this out? Like, this is so fucking, you know, it's so real. Um, but it, it, it taught me that it, it, because once you do it, one time you can't really go back like you were saying before you can't go backwards so um to to fathom that i would go from that and the new ep and then to kind of cage myself behind this like pop barricade um it just would it's not something that can happen absolutely yeah just thinking about war kid you know battles with vices and talking about the the struggle with the kid involved and whatnot doesn't matter how fucked up this divorce gets i'm the stablest broken wild
don't know. I don't know how you listen to something like that and don't like feel anything. Whether you've been right. through something of that, you know, magnitude or not. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. It's uh, it's it's pretty funny. It's just like quite like almost like just quite literal. It's like really literal. It's just like someone telling you like a really really sad story, like ten times. <laughs> <laughs> and I really like the aesthetic and kind of sonic thing that was tapped into production wise with that record because that was obviously like a huge shift from anything you had done and kind of this psychedelic dreamy folk record mm-hmm. um was working with patrick Danfier a, a huge part of that shift yeah um it was just it was almost like the lyrics really guided that it's like you couldn't there just seemed to be no other way to do it. You know, it, it would be insane to take those lyrics and put them in any other situation. Um, the music was sort of, you know, not like an afterthought, but it was certainly like secondary for me. It was like, um, there's just no way that you, I mean, imagine taking those songs and then producing them how I produced lesser oceans, that would have been like, like, like psychotic almost. Right. So it was like, um, it just seemed to be the only way it, that's like, like, how is this song going to sound? Like that's just how it sounds. It, it revealed itself essentially to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I know like on the, on the new edition, you put some acoustic tracks at the end of, of a couple of the tunes, but, and you obviously, I don't know, you could have, made it just that raw acoustic record across the board but i think it's all those other little instruments and moments that that kind of you know give it its character and and add to some of the drama and the the rawness like thinking about um that moment on god music it's like a minute and a half in everything's pretty bare and raw and then there's this music break and that electric guitar throughout the whole song is just kind of like lingering there and then after that break like it just starts screaming I mean, it's it's funny. I mean, that that record's weird because it almost was like a like a conceptual like art piece or something, you know? Because that's just like how I felt inside. Because it's like, you know, sadness can be displayed through just like you know, you know, verbalizing it, which is what I was doing lyrically. But it's like, it's like, what does like anxiety feel like? feels like that screaming guitar like what do tears feel like like what is like real deep depression feel like it feels like that wobbly guitar like you know it's like 
just trying to just manifest all of these things of hopelessness and sorrow, like sonically, I guess. Um, and even with the title failure sculptures, I mean, it was just the whole thing. I was just, I wasn't trying to say, oh, I'm going to make like the saddest record ever. Like, I mean, that's like not something that would, I would think about. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have to, you know, it's like kind of, it's almost like if you were to tell somebody like, like, Hey, like my arm hurts really bad. And they're like, really? And you're like, yeah. And then you're like, it hurts like this much. And then you grab their arm and you pinch it. So they know, cause just saying it's not enough. Otherwise I just would have done a book of poetry or something. So it's like, but that's, a, that's why that record's weird because to me, it's almost like not, I wasn't making songs, you know, it was different. Yeah. You were just kind of letting it pour out of you and yeah. those were kind of just yeah. like the raw tunes you were singing to from the get go with those. Yeah, for sure. I wasn't like, oh, here's a radio. I wasn't thinking about radio or anything like this right. at all. Yeah, no way. Yeah. I just also feel like with that record, that's the one where you really created a world for all of the tunes, you know? Yeah. Or maybe like, you know, obviously, sonically and production-wise, Lesser Oceans, you know, has like a general same vibe to it, but... No, I didn't feel like anything had created a world like you did with the failure sculptures thing until that record. Cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I agree. I think from, you know, one through 10, it all kind of sounds like the same sort of kind of spot. Um, and yeah, and it was great because now I know how to make records. <laughs> that helps. Yeah. That really helped Instead of going in one song at a time and being like, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, you're right. Create a world, man, not just a city. You know? And are you recording a lot of the instrumentation on these records? Yeah. I mean, when I can. Yeah, a good amount. I mean, when it was Patrick and I, it was kind of like, you know, you play whatever. Like, hey, you want to play bass? You want to play this, play that? So yeah. Pretty, pretty casual. Um I think Patrick played drums. Um, Richie played the crazy guitar stuff sometimes. I think I played some guitar stuff. It's kind of just whoever feel like is feeling it at the time. But it's not like there's like this designated designated thing like, hey man, like you do this or do that. Because honestly, like we would just call people over because it was just me and him in the room the whole time. But like you need this. I mean, I know. Um, some of the upright bass, this guy, Michael came in and Michael plays with like huge country people. And he came in and did it. Like I wasn't even there. Um, he, but he came in and did it on like God music, I think maybe only. Um, so it's, yeah, you just call people over and it's, just keep it like, you know, calm. Yeah, man. Yeah. I was, uh, just my cousin and I were just doing this, uh, this conversation about the, the Steely Dan Asia record. And mm, just talking, talking about how that's kind of the record. Those guys really approached that record by just calling in a bunch of session musicians. And that was kind yeah. of how they finally made the record that they wanted to make. Cause it was just like mm -hmm. Donald Fagan and, uh, the other dude at that time. And they were just like, fuck it. We're just going to bring whoever is, is best for the song. Yeah. That's like, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's the fucking way to go. They're correct. I agree with that. I would never in a million years just 
be in a band. I could not do it. And I, I have not done it. And I, I agree with them because you'll hear something in a song and you're like, you're like oh man, I think that dude and like, you know, or that girl, like they'd be perfect. Like call them, see if they could do it. Instead of being like trapped in like this like weird loyalty, like shit. And um, I don't know. I just, I, I totally dig that. And I like that there are bands and like, sometimes there are bands where it's like, like if anyone what like wasn't in Led Zeppelin out of the four people, it would sound fucking horrible. It's like they were all perfect and they made that thing. But, but if you're just like doing something and you can bring in other people, it's uh to me, that's so fun. It's like really, it's cool. And you can get like a lot of, it's almost like the most important part of it is getting a different perspective because you can have somebody come in and say like, Hey, I was thinking this. And then they interpret that differently. And you're like, that's even cooler than what I was thinking. So that's, what's neat is to get like sort of a, a fresh, you know, get out of your own way a little bit mentally. Right. Yeah. Have you always been pretty open to the collaboration uh, on your tunes and, and, hearing other people's perspectives on what you're bringing to the table or is that something that's taken time for you um i'm okay with it with sometimes like parts and stuff like that um i can't have anyone mess around with the lyrics that freaks me out because that's sort of like i mean that's just not gonna happen in a million years but you know if i'm you know working on a record and I'm tracking vocals and the producer's like, why don't you try going like, instead of like, uh, he's like, why don't you try to go like, uh, <clears throat> he's like, just try that. And I try it and I'm like, that was better. And that's, that's fine. You know, I'm not like, I know everything all the time. It's certainly not like that, but, um, but I also don't, you know, want someone to come in and just like, be like, I wrote this huge crazy part for something. Cause then that's just, it's kind of awkward because if you're like, I don't like it, you know, then, and I'm too, you know, sometimes I'm too nice. So maybe I'd just be like, Oh, that was good. And then I'm like stuck with some shit on my record. I hate for like the rest of my life. So yeah, you have to be careful, man. But it, it, you know, it's a delicate dance. And I think musicians know that. So it's like, you have a bass player come in like, this is kind of what I was thinking. If he shifts it around a little bit or something, you know, it, I think everyone's like kind of like in tune with how sensitive we all are. So everyone's pretty respectful seems to be. Yeah. I would imagine that also just kind of goes with finding the right people that understand they're there to serve the song and not their ego. For sure. Yeah. And it's particularly helpful when they come in and they hear, you know, some super fucking sad songs. They're like, Oh, I'm probably not going to have to like, you know, do, do any like much, right. It's just kind of like, I think they sort of get it. And especially if I sit in a chair and just glare at them the whole time, that helps too. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. yeah, man. I just thought some of the, the tones overall on that record and the vibe of it, just the, the guitar tones on, on the whole record, like same blues and the, all the string work that's on that, that particular song is just fucking killer. Thank you, man. Yeah, it's crazy. I like it too. So you. Cause you are the 
Are you mostly writing on a guitar when you're putting together initial ideas, or do you have other instruments that you like to kind of use as a writing tool? It's always there, man. <laughs> no, I, I just do guitar, man. Only acoustic guitar the whole time since the beginning. It's the way to go for me. I've done a couple vocal hooks on piano, you know, just because it's all laid out so you can sort of, but just, just like linear, linear lines. I don't do chordal work on piano, but just linear lines um, on piano. A couple times yeah. I've done courses that way. Yeah. Just more for like, like um, melody ideas. Melody ideas. Yeah. Like dogs at the table, like the, um, what is it? It's like the, the, I wrote that on piano, you know what I mean? But it was like, cause I had the song on guitar, but as on piano, I was like, dun, dun, dun. so it's like sometimes they intertwine a bit, but I'm not writing, you know, songs on piano. No way. For sure. Um, I got to listen to the new EP that's coming out at the end of April today as well. And oh, gross. Yeah. Nice. I, I liked what, what you did with the, yeah, the production this time around too. Just seems like maybe you're, just leaning into another different dynamic and you know fucking around with like some of these uh these r&b kind of pockets at times and totally yeah that's sort of my vibe right now is that like i'm like feeling that for some god knows why i don't know um but yeah i like like the kind of like hip-hop production r&b and whatever it just sounds cool to me um i don't think anyone's expecting it either which is neat. Um, and then maybe in a year when there's some other thing, I'll just do that, you know? So it's, I just really, I, I don't want to make the same album, you know, it might be a real drag. Yeah. Well, uh, I appreciate you giving me some of your time, man. I've really enjoyed getting to know you through your tunes and now having the opportunity to have a, a conversation with you has been, been awesome. Yeah, man. My pleasure. Cool. Um, yeah looking forward to the to the new record coming out i was curious if like to close out if you have any is there someone that you've worked with creatively that have has really uh just shifted your process or the way you you think about writing music i would say probably the person that i worked with that was the most important was Chris Waller on Lesser Oceans from Death Cab for Cutie. He produced, I think, like eight of the songs, seven of the songs. So we had to spend a lot of time with him. And he's just a, a, a crazy person, you know? Like before I did a, I would do a vocal thing. He'd be like, hold on. And he'd put on like a bunch of pairs of sunglasses, like stacked up his head. And then he would just like play like a, uh, of like a POV of like a train going to like Norway. And I'm like, what are you doing? And then he'd be like, all right, now I'll go do the vocal. And I would go in there so confused. But then like when I would do it, it, it was almost like Brian Eno or something. Like just like he would like fuck with me and then and then it would it would do something to me. So he was just very insane. Um that guy, yeah, Chris Waller, I think he's probably one of the biggest geniuses I've ever met in my life. I don't know where he is right now or what, because I know he's not with Death Cab anymore. I think he actually might be in in Europe, somewhere very dark. Just doing his thing. 
yeah but yeah that guy that guy really got me <laughs> yeah dude for sure um yeah just really appreciate the vulnerability of everything you do man so thanks for giving me the right. time and i encourage well, people to uh to check out your your catalog of tunes and i'll make sure to put all the all the links in the episode notes so so people can uh can keep up with you and we end every episode of the podcast in this goofy way of having the the guest of the show say the tagline which is it's a program which means absolutely nothing and it's just a program program so if you want to properly sail us out here chris okay um this is christopher mansfield from fences and it's a program he nailed it everybody put those links in the episode notes uh we're gonna play it out with one of my favorite tracks off failure sculptures which is paper route and there is a new uh lyric video that came out recently for this too so people can uh can check that out and that's the jelly jams and we will catch you on the flip side portland or wherever you're listening to this from cool man cool thanks so much dude you're welcome dude that was rad Whatever this is, I don't like it Cause I don't even bruise anymore I just wanna flood the fighting And then rain out the war Let's park it in the driveway Our bodies sway like trees in a storm It's too late to keep on riding So let's rain out the war I should've known better to look up that day Some people stay face down They're lucky that way I should've known better to look up that Stay face down, they're lucky that way Although you keep on hiding And you don't pay your phone anymore The ringing sounds like lightning You're raining out
Hey, just want to give a big shout out to Distro Kid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Can't say thank you enough to Distro Kid for their support of this thing. And make sure you go into the episode notes and find that Distro Kid link to receive 30% off your first year of membership with Distro Kid, making their already affordable prices even cheaper for you. So make sure you take advantage of that. And the link is also in uh, the link in my Instagram bio on the link tree. So you can find it there as well. Big thanks to DistroKid. Stay up, stay tuned.